John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 591.jb2416, certificate number 39623, Hobby Tunneling. Uh, you just, uh, you and I were just talking about uh, a new uh, little vacation cabin that you bought somewhere here in the Northwest. We've been talking about getting a little beach house for a long time yeah and we probably should have done one i've been talking about it (laughs) since i was 20 years old (laughs) we probably should have done it when the kids were young and fun but instead we did it when they were old and grouchy it's uh it's now it's a place where we get away from them it's part of being a parent right that everything you do you you think i should have done this a long time ago when my kids could have blank that's pretty much true and that's good advice for people with kids yeah is like do it all up front. Live in the now. Don't my, put anything off. My daughter the other day said, you still haven't built me a treehouse. And I said, aren't you almost too old to enjoy a treehouse? And she said, teens like treehouses. So I'm still on the hook for a treehouse. I just had this conversation with my teen who wants to go to the Enchanted Forest, the famously weird low rent amusement park near what, Salem, Oregon? Yeah, down in near down Albany? central where, where Oregon. It? Uh, where I haven't been since I was a kid. It's a crazy, like, paper mache uh, forest village. Some family built their own fairy tale abode outside Portland or yeah. outside Salem. I, I remember going to it in the 70s and feeling like it was already a thousand years old. They were recently in the news because their Humpty Dumpty fell off a wall. And oh. after believing that they could uh, restore the ride, they have now decided that it might, in fact, be impossible to get the ride back together again did they call all the king's horses (laughs) um maybe they called the horses but not the men because you could see why the horses would be no help they don't have opposable thumbs (laughs) they just stood around grazing on the grass do you have lots of do you have friends who have had like you know a second place a cabin i know lots of people who have always had like their their weekend place and we never had a weekend place the thing a lot of people might not know about the northwest although we talk about the northwest all the time maybe every episode mostly restaurant recommendations here in the here in puget sound it's an enormous uh saltwater sound that has a, a surely a countable number of islands but an awful lot of islands and peninsulas glaciers did a number on this place they really did and what that means is that there's so much oceanfront property 
And I get yelled at by my family all the time for calling the Puget Sound the ocean. And you and I have talked about it before, and you were against ocean. When people in Seattle say, I'm going to the ocean, they mean the Pacific coast of, you know, Washington and Oregon, not Puget Sound. But Puget Sound is connected to the, it's ocean. the ocean. If you were a whale, it would you would say it was the ocean still. But if you, if you were looking out at the Adriatic, would you say, ah, the ocean? Maybe you wouldn't. And that's much more ocean-like than Puget Sound. I believe that, that the Mediterranean is an ocean. And the Adriatic is connected to the Mediterranean. If your position is that everything connected to the ocean is the ocean, yes. then then you call rivers the ocean. No. <laughs> well, they flow into the ocean. But I, but I would call the Black Sea the ocean. Whoa. Yeah, that's, I think the ocean has to be salt water. I think that's salt, insane. salt water is the ocean. This is this is cancer, the cancer woke uh, Bob run amok or whatever. If everything's the ocean, nothing is the ocean. That's not true. The Red Sea is not the ocean, although it is salt water. But it is a, it's, it's more connected to the ocean than the Black Sea. The the Black Sea is literally connected to the ocean. You can't get to the ocean from the Red Sea. Yes, you can. Oh, the Red Sea. Yes, the Dead Sea. I that's meant correct. the Dead Sea. That's not the, the ocean. The Dead Sea is also not the ocean. The Red Sea is the ocean. No. And so is the Black Sea because you can if you can get into a boat. Is Lake Michigan the ocean? No, but it's not salt water. Oh, I see. It has to be ocean water. If a whale can a whale go into the Black Sea? Um has a whale oof. been in the Black Sea? A whale just going through the Bosporus. Just, just bl- toot, blow, toot. blowing happily to everyone. It would be on the news. It, it, it would be like their uh, Istanbul's little Humphrey the Humpback whale. I bet it's because the Black Sea is anaerobic below a pretty narrow range. I bet a whale wouldn't go in the Not Black a lot sea. to eat or breathe. But I bet... Well, they can't breathe anyway. But I bet there are sturgeons or something that, that go... Well, wait a minute. Sturgeons are They're fresh water. They're in the Caspian water. Sea. Yeah, but the Caspian Sea is not salt water. But isn't that where the sturgeons are? Yeah, they so are. So they must be okay in salt water. But this Caspian Sea is not salt water. Oh, sorry. My mistake. Or the Aral Sea. So you can call something a sea that's not the ocean. But I think a sound, I think it's the ocean. Anyway, my point is that there's a lot of salt water front there we go. Um, property here. So much so that until very recently, kind of a lot of... The just, state would just give you one. Yeah, just normal. Dixie Lee Ray would just assign you a cabin. <laughs> Here's your cabin. Normal blue-collar American working-class families in Seattle could and often did have a little cabin on the ocean. And Canadians will understand this. Yes. Because Canada also, like us, has tons of places nobody wants to be, many of which have little inlets or bodies of water of some type. So everybody in a Canadian city also has their cottage that they go to on summer weekends. Well, and I think in, even in in the Midwestern Canada, uh, because there are so many lakes and so few people, right? every Canadian has their own lake. In fact, it's named after you uh-huh. at birth. You're like, yeah. this is Lake, I'm Gord, and this is Lake Gord. <laughs> yep, McMillan where, Lake. Where I hang out. I have a friend in Alaska that uh, they have a lake, uh, Nosek Lake. Is it named for them? It is, yeah, because they're the only ones there. And I think they might own all the property around it. I don't know. Do you have to actually contact the Canadian government or do you just have to put out one of those novelty signs like vacationers have that says like Lois Lane or like Beach Avenue or (laughs) whatever? But you bought a house from some people like this, right? That were just like old, old Northwest. They were 
they were humble country people who lived in a beach house, and now you have taken it over a rich no, they were, Seattle. They were transplants. Oh. They were like Montana people. There was like fly fishing uh, art all over the walls. But most of your neighbors at your party yeah. place are like farmer types. They're cows roaming around, right? It's very rural. It hasn't become yet a, a sort of... It's not yuppified yet, although I'm the thin end of the wedge, probably. If you were, If you lived in California, there's no way that you could... You could just ease into some sort of oceanfront property but unless you, know, you were a million billionaire. But you know what happened during the pandemic is like prices of these places just doubled because everyone was like, wait, if I'm writing code for Amazon in my slippers, I don't need to have a million dollar condo downtown. Right. But then they moved why, out Why there am I not living somewhere beautiful? They realized that they only ginned up the internet just for the open house. And then <laughs> as soon as they closed on it, they were like, yeah, the internet's powered by a water wheel. We found out that the internet for our open house was actually somebody was typing to us in real time, simulating the internet. <laughs> like Hi, if, I, if I Googled something, there was a guy in the basement sending me the right image. <laughs> he was drawing the image in, uh, in Microsoft draw. Yeah. That's tough. Well, but so now you we have, fell for it. You have a country property. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a country squire. Yeah, a little bit of a squire. Sir Ken. And when I think about your house, your in-town house, it's not, you didn't quite have one of those lot line houses where you built the house right up to the lot line. Well, I didn't build it, but we, had, we inherited a house that was kind of as big a square footage as they could manage on the footprint they had in mind for it. But you didn't, there's not a ton of, um, you, you didn't have to carve anything into the land. You didn't have to retake it from nature. It was pretty much. Our back 40 is like 40 patio tiles. <laughs> and your front yard is also, it's, it's fairly groomed. But now you have a proper Northwest place that is presumably overgrown, and full of crazy overgrown bushes and everything, stickers. Everything and, has thorns somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just blackberries. It's like 20 other things. Oh, but they all have thorns. Yeah, for salmon some, berries. For, for some reason. You're going to notice have some some prickles. I was just checking this out yesterday because there's a it's, it's built on a bluff and there's a gravel beach down below. And so theoretically, it has water access. But that's the theoretically is pending a ton of things with thorns. Yes. As we've discussed. You can buy a, or you can build a funicular. A, we, lot, a lot of people with a bluff have a funicular. We have actually been talking about this because my Mindy, and I'm serious about this, wanted a slide. She yes. was like, I'm going to price out a slide. Yes. And I said, well, that's insane on a number of levels. I, I mean, I, I applaud the vision. I'm with her so hard. I applaud the vision, but how are you going to get back up among other things? Also, a slide doesn't slow you down. A slide is how you would shoot into the, I would say Puget Sound, you would say Great Pacific Ocean. Yeah, the ocean. You would shoot Puget into the sound, you would the shoot into the ocean. And the ocean maybe only, you know, a foot and a half deep there, and then you would hit gravel and die every time you'd use the slide. So what you would have to do is you would end the slide right at water level so that at high tide you would skip across the water like a like a <laughs> rock across a pond. I propose putting in a series of uh bends, little raises, speed bumps in the slide to slow your progress so that you would land at a beach appropriate speed. That would result in you dying then i suggested a zipline yeah and then we realized well a zipline's kind of one way also well it also has to connect to something at the bottom which would have to be like a concrete pillar out in the middle of the ocean well it wouldn't go into the ocean there's there's enough beach that you could stop i think well but you don't want to you don't want the zipline to run straight into the ground like it has to it has to 
It has to go. I see. It up. has to be tall. Yeah, it has to be tall at the end too. The ones I see on playgrounds, you know, are, are maybe a foot and a half up. You could do it with driftwood. Yeah, but your bluff is presumably thirty feet above the water, <laughs> so it's not going to be. We ended up. We ended up landing on a funicular. Yes. Oh, and a funicular is so cool. I mean, they're rickety, they're hard to get going, you know, because it's a vacation house. You won't be there all the time. So every time you're going to be out there trying to start it like a rope toe. Everyone I've been on has been run by like an, a, a crabby European. You have to, that's right. I, you would, have to, I would have to import a crabby Swiss lady. Yeah, you have to. Well, I think you get them in Lisbon. They're a lot cheaper. <laughs> uh, so you you arrived here uh, with, uh, with some thorn scars. You seem a little uh, torn up from your yard. I still have a thorn right here because Mindy couldn't get it out. I know those, and they hurt so badly. It broke off right at the skin line, so there's no, there's no purchase, nothing to grab onto. But how did you, is this your first experience clearing the land? Let me see. I built a pair of, I built a set of stairs down by, into the ravine behind our previous house. But yeah, this is, this is the most intense, and it's very rewarding because there is a trail there. Mm-hmm. It's just that the elderly previous owners of the house had let it be overgrown. So I am revealing something true and useful and, and pre-existing on the hillside. And what are your tools? Uh, currently, it's uh, we were we stayed we missed a ferry and ended up staying there longer than we thought we would yesterday. Well, welcome to your new <laughs> beach. <laughs> that cabin. is my new lifestyle. Yes. <laughs> ah, we missed a ferry. So we'll be in the ferry line about half the time and at the house about half the time. We've got it all figured out. So it was the pair of. Uh, gardening shears, pruning shears that I could buy at extortionate prices at the only hardware store for miles around. We call those chompers in my family. Chompers, chompers, because they chomp like a jaw they when do. they they go chomp, chomp, chomp. They have one. They have one kind of a curved bar that is not particularly sharp, which is more like a a brace, and then a sharp blade that chunks down onto chomps in a word down on top of it. So you just have the like hand chompers, not the not the uh, extended chompers. They didn't have the extended chompers, and the longest thing they had, they, we were getting up to like ninety bucks, and I thought, do yeah. I really care that much? No, you just go to the it hardware has, store here. It has the spring thing, yeah, which you, I like. You, you go to the hardware store here. You can buy three or four different kinds of chompers, and they're all great for different things. Uh, do I need to have, do I need to know which kind I'm using for which? Do I need no, to have no, like no. a you, set, like a dentist? You'll work it out. You'll figure it out. And then of course, you know, people think machete, but machete, mm. I don't even see what, I mean, really it's sharp enough that you can just wipe it through the air and, and, uh, big thick branches just fall in front of you. That's the problem. I'm skeptical. No. And you can also like chop your leg. <laughs> Uh, so don't, don't, I mean, anything, don't that, anything that big, you kind of have to saw away. Yeah. So I could see getting one of those little. Well, now that's the other thing. Japanese pruning saws. You can, you could spend more than your house buying super great Japanese pruning saws. It needs to be made out of samurai sword yeah, steel. They're just, they're all super perfect in your, and, and, um, they're, they're objects of beauty. This is the thing. Yeah, that's why you buy them. I have one crappy little bandsaw that I use every year to, uh, uh, what do you call it? Take the bottom inch off my Christmas tree. <laughs> That's the only thing that saw ever does. I have named him Noel. Uh-huh. Way. That's all he does. Um, but but in doing this, in in starting to carve this trail, and I'm assuming this is going to be an ongoing project, and then let me tell you, every year you will have to beat back nature. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like, do you feel anything rising up in you? Uh, a kind of primitive nature, uh, like a powerful urge to remake the land i was having a really lousy day because we had found out that getting internet was going to be 
somewhere between complicated and impossible and mm-hmm. expensive obviously is at both ends of that uh of that continuum you need to call elon musk and have him float a balloon over your house well you can point it at one of, you can point a little thing at one of elon's satellites but the problem is this a wind blows and that doesn't move the satellite but it moves your little dish yeah your little antenna then gets a, a, a one millionth of a degree off and then elon's not there anymore and you're like e- elon Come back. I thought all of his satellites were over Crimea and Nigeria. Are there some over Washington? I have no idea. Maybe it's maybe it's a competing outfit. Maybe Jeff Bezos has his own (laughs) array over Puget Sound. Oh, those ding dongs. But between that and missing a ferry, yeah, uh, I was having a terrible day. And then I went and took it out on a bunch of brambles. And I was starting to remember. Do you remember when like George W. Bush would just go to Crawford, Texas? Because, you know, he was losing wars on three continents and he was bummed. So he would go clear he would brush. Go clear brush. And you have to know that he's got, I mean, first of all, where is he clearing brush from and what is he clearing it for? Probably nothing. Does he have a staff of 20 people that could clear brush in his absence? Absolutely. He needed to be out there producing order out of chaos, the opposite of what he was doing in the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I felt yesterday. I was on the ranch in Crawford. It, it, it was something that we mocked George Bush for all the time because he seemed so happy in his blue jeans when he would come back all sweaty from clearing brush. I don't even, to this day, I don't understand what he was doing. For what? Why are you clearing brush? Well, it's a thing a rancher would do because they were trying to have cows, right? Yes, but uh, he does not have a new... He no. does not just get a new head of something that he needs to put on 20 acres. No, he was clearing brush because he wanted to paint a landscape, he paint had, an awkward landscape. He, had, he was not yet painting his bathtub uh, sel- uh, new selfies or whatever he does now. <laughs> I used to mock him, and I used to have very little connection to this kind of thing. But as a little kid, I loved to play in creeks, and I was always damming creeks with rocks and trying to move I, I wanted to move water right if there was a if there was a rivulet rivulet i'm not going to pronounce it wrong rivulet it's when if there You're was not going to say rivulet like some kind of a moron <laughs> philistine if there was a rivulet of water going down any hillside i would if i had the time uh pull away from the other kids and begin to redirect the water and send it over obstacles, waterfalls. I used to to do this when when my parents washed the car. If my dad was washing the car, I would be building dams and uh, canals and channels in the driveway. uh, Several years ago, some friends and I stayed in a a house that used to house Allen Ginsberg down under the Bixby Canyon Bridge. It used to house him like like he was on, he was on display there in the basement. (laughs) No, he lived there. It was like great moments with Mr. Ginsberg. He was writing some poem, you know, Kerouac was down there. This Bixby Canyon was a, was a thing. Yes. uh, With the beats. And I had a friend who, or have a friend that was really interested in them and, and had a relationship with, I don't know, Fairland Gettys, great grandson or something like this. And we rented this house and we stayed there for a week. And there's a Creek running through Bixby Canyon that comes out there under the Bixby Canyon bridge. And there's a, there's a beach there. And every morning it's like any kind of Creek that enters the ocean. And that's really the ocean there. That's the big ocean. Unquestioned. Um, every time the high tide comes in, it washes out where the Creek had gone before and then the tide goes out and the creek has to has to find a new path so every morning there would be a kind of uh, the whole 
bottom half of the creek would be reshaped and reborn. And my two tra- travel companions, uh, it, uh, the big- Sh- shouldn't we all be like that creek? By the way, every oh, day, ab- absolutely, Ken. It makes you think. Doesn't it's it? so aloha. You just just dig a new channel for yourself every day. Every day, if the internet doesn't up, work. That's right. The go- tide came up. It washed away the old mouth. You are the new mouth. But that spot there in Big Sur is such a magical place. It sounds kind of too little woo-woo, but my two friends would often just kind of climb up on the rocks and stare out at the ocean. These are, you know, full-grown adults, but just it's just so baffling how big the and beautiful the waves are and the fog and uh, the the whole environment. And so they would just sit there and stare out, which is my usual thing. You know, if you didn't, if you weren't talking to me right now, I would just be sitting here staring at what my mind's eye would imagine was a foggy beach. Well, you should probably go to a foggy beach and not just sit in a room pretending you have one. But because of this creek, I could not stare out at the foggy beach as much as I liked because I was moved to get down in this creek and futz with it. And it was a fairly big creek, but there are enough rocks and other things that I could build dams. And I started building dams and adding little little tricks and waterfalls and stuff. And then, you know, I'd go home and then in the morning it, I would come out and it would all be gone. The, the stream would be entering the ocean in a completely different place and I would begin again. And it was so important to me. I mean, obviously I'm retelling it now like... It was a great joy to be uh, doing this every day. I would be doing it now if I if if I could live in Bixby Canyon. It makes you wonder what the evolutionary advantage must be that humans so enjoy uh, showing some kind of mastery and shaping nature like that. I mean, I guess it's true that the is that what made us want to farm. Hey, I can make this place look different. Is that the impulse? Not like, hey, I'm really hungry. Uh, I could use, I could really use some more of those red things that grew last year. You'd think it would be the second thing. Yeah, so much. I mean, I, why would you build the first shelter? Or, or it's obvious why you would. It's wet. But how would you? Right. The the invention of all the things that we have. It all kind of comes out of this. It feel, feels like there's an element of this compulsive nature, and. So when I bought my house and discovered that there was an overgrown ravine in the backyard, or rather when I discovered there was an overgrown ravine and immediately bought the house. You bought the, you bought the ravine. The house just kind of came with it. Yeah. It, and my mom said that the other day, I was like, yeah, you know, whatever the resale value. And she was like, you wouldn't sell the ravine. And I was like, well, you know, there's a house here too, where I live. I can't wait to, to read your next book. We bought a ravine. <laughs> but the ravine has kept me sane for almost three years. Uh, down there, just, just moving stuff and, and, and cutting down trees and building trails. You know, did you name it after you? No. Roderick Ravine. I'm not a namer that, you know, that's a set, that's a skill set. Does your car have a name? Oh no. It does Mindy's car. No, my parents used to do that. What what were your parents' cars named? Uh, I think we might've done this on the show. A Pinto, Ford Pinto named Calvin. A Mercury's a black Mercury Zephyr named Morris. Yeah, all all of my family they all name their cars. That might be dying out though. Do you think? I don't know. My if, daughter. If you're Gen Z and up, or if you're millennial and up, and you name your car, please drop us a line. 
Yeah, we'd like to hear what your car's names are. Do you have a personalized plate? But I do not name my cars or anything. And it's strange. I get asked that question all the time. Oh, does it have a name? About things, you know? People will say like, oh, does your guitar have a name or whatever? I'm just like, that's not part well, of it. Well, I don't name things either, but a geographic feature always well, has a name. So my daughter has named many things. She's named uh, many things in the ravine. Blister Tree Hill, Thorny Hill, uh, Heart Rock Ford. She named something after herself, Marlowe's Ford. Um, you know, the Pond Bridge, the Upper Bridge. So she's out there naming things like crazy. I don't. You can't get a word in edgewise. Yeah, I don't think you can't get a demonym in edgewise. I'm like, oh, Blister Tree Hill. I don't even know what that is. Toponym, sorry. Uh, but but the but the work, you know, it clears the mind. You go in and you start to work and you build up a sweat. And it's not that you're not thinking, you are, but it it's kind of like playing solitaire, except it's also very physical. Yeah, it's qualitatively different from other physical things like that too. It does not feel like you are, you've just run a few miles or, hmm, I don't know, what what are the other analogs? It doesn't feel like I've cleaned my closet. Well, gone to the gym. and Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Like, even though there's physical exertion and maybe some sense of producing order or benefit, like, it's very different than other kinds of exercise or errand or chore. Well, when I heard of today's topic which just kind of came up. I think it was on, um, I don't usually pitch my own Patreon, but my Patreon, uh, has a message board associated with it and a, a, a vibrant little community of people. And I think someone mentioned this topic and just by the title, I thought, tell me more. And in researching it, um, this is, uh, one of a a billion topics that went viral at some point back in April and it attracted 1000 likes in the space of 24 hours before people moved on to the next. I missed it. Yeah. I was off TikTok that day. Most people missed it because it was not like a huge sensation, but it did. And I think part of the, part of what spawned it, no, 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 not part of what spawned it was someone posting on Reddit saying, uh, my boyfriend. Oh, I did see this. You did? I did see this. My boyfriend won't stop tunneling. He's building a tunnel (laughs) and he. I remember tunneling boyfriend. And he keeps digging and he can't, uh, he, he's like losing all his friends and he doesn't want to do anything. And he's neglecting me because all he wants to do is be out in his tunnel. And of course, like uh, most posts on Reddit, you know, there were a lot of people like, what is this real? This is fake. Uh, but, um, but it spawned a little bit of a moment as people realized that this was not uncommon. And in fact, uh, history had many, many kind of flabbergasting examples of someone starting a little project that then became a tunneling obsession. Recreational digging gone wrong. But this, this implies that recreational digging is a thing. And for most people, it is not past the age of seven or eight, and occasionally on a beach. 
Uh, you know, gardening mm. is recreational digging. It has digging in it. It just doesn't. It's it, it's meant. Um, digging is a small part of gardening, John. If, <laughs> if you're digging most of the time, you're doing it wrong. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, digging in a garden is meant to produce something other than the digging. Most of the time, you should be working above the soil line, or your gardening's not going great. But yes, it begins with digging. One of the one of the most well known and prominent. I don't know why I pronounced noon. Noon is it because it was like rivulet? Well known um, instances of this or incidences of this indices. Yeah, yeah. The best known interstices of this interstices um, in uh, in the interwar years between World War One and World War Two in Washington D.C. Um, one day, a motor truck, as we call them. Not the, not an old fashioned, uh, horse-drawn truck. No, this would be a, a 1920s truck. Horseless truck, we call uh, them. Fell into, uh, not fell completely into, but a, a, a hole opened in the street. And the truck. Like a sinkhole? Yeah, a little sinkhole. And, um, they removed the truck tire from the hole and looked down and, and it was a, proper hole. And so someone naturally dropped down in the hole to look around because it didn't look like a um, sinkhole. It looked like a passageway. And they discovered uh, a network of tunnels. In the, and this is, Where in, is this? Like, this is just in the middle of a neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Huh. Um, hope he called before he dug. <laughs> he did not call before he dug. You got to call before you dig. He should have called before he dug, but he did not. Um, and uh, and it was unclear who had dug this tunnel, uh, or I rather, series of tunnels. And it was a series of tunnels that, um, as they explored it, uh, encompassed three separate levels. Uh, the lowest shaft went thirty-two feet down into the ground. Wow. And that's over 10 meters for our international listers and was, uh, a quarter of a mile of different passageways, uh, 1300 different, 1300 feet. How of many kilometers would that passage. be for our international? Uh, <laughs> let's see a quarter of a mile. You know, what is that? A half a half kilometer. A, yeah. And so as, as, um, the, uh, authorities got involved and started to investigate, um, it turned out President Coolidge had dug a series of escape tunnels from the White House. Well, that, that, the better to meet with his young girlfriend, Helen. There was a lot of speculation, and what increased some of the uh, the sort of panic around it, because the in, in the impulse is always to initially think that there's something afoot, right? Why are there tunnels here? Where are they're going to some place and from some place, and it's meant to be surreptitious, right? And it's someone it, smuggling something. Yeah, smuggling or or saboteurs. Someone's breaking into a bank vault. Someone's yeah. pretending to have a redheaded league just exactly. so they can dig into a bank. And this is a long time before uh, before like tunneling under the Berlin Wall or anything like that. Um, this people, is, I'm sure people were still tunneling under walls. People were tunneling for are you millennia. Saying, are you saying there was not like you're saying that the 
the association of tunneling with getting around a wall as a cold as a product of the Cold War? No, I'm not. I am not at all. Because people are always digging out of prisons, right? Sure, and digging, yeah, digging into banks. That's an old trope. But typically not digging three-level tunnel systems <laughs> under Adams Morgan or whatever. Three levels is very interesting yeah. to me. It yeah. implies that maybe one is better than the other, that one is a penthouse tunnel? Well, so, uh, you know, what they what they ended up doing was leading to a home. Um, There's your, see, I'm not a detective, but to me, that would be my prime suspect. Right. But the people that lived in the home had no, <gasps> didn't know about the, this, this was all a mystery. So either it's a previous owner or it's, those are the people he's been spying on. And in the tunnels, they discovered a whole bunch of German language newspapers from the war. Come on. From World War One. Well, now I think it's, now I think it's the fifth column. So it becomes, so this is the, you know, this is the, the panic, right? That this was some kind of German uh, sabotage. But the, the, you know, it goes out over the wire. And after a few days of, of, uh, of hand-wringing, a man steps forward and claims responsibility for the tunnels. And it is not, uh, not just a uh, nobody living in Adams Morgan. It, it is, is President Coolidge. It is no less than Harrison Gray Dyer, who is an eminent scientist of butterflies and moths who works for the Smithsonian Institution. <laughs> and he is such a famous <laughs> butterfly and moth scientist. Lepidopterologist? He is a, he's an entomologist. Um, but he... Uh, he even has a, a, a law uh, describing the geometric progression in insect growth called Dyar's Law or Dyar's Law. Wow. Um, so he's a, uh, he's a famous sort of taxonomist and, uh, and doctor. That guy with one of those big nets running around, uh, exactly uh, running right. around Bryce Canyon or the Everglades. He, he does. He is a kook. He's like in a... Uh, Thomas Dolby video. He's got a long goatee, kind of uh, like a uh, Mark Twain style goatee. But in his free hours. (laughs) And he had moved to California and he he confessed that he was the digger. And when asked what he was up to, why he... Crowd, this. crowd of reporters outside his house. Mr. Dyer, Mr. <laughs> Dyer, what are you up to? <laughs> what are you up to? <laughs> Flashbulbs <laughs> pop. <laughs> he said um, he he started in 1905 uh, helping his wife garden, uh, and he he decided he was going to dig. He he enjoyed the digging, and so he decided he was going to dig a uh, like a uh, a tunnel from the from the side yard down into his furnace. The, the furnace room in his basement. And he said once he got going, he just couldn't stop. And he just kept digging. That makes it sound like a compulsion. Like when you're rubbing your itchy eye and you just can't stop. Well, he, he said um, that some men play golf. True. And so far. And that true. he dug tunnels. Uh, he didn't describe it really as a compulsive behavior so much as a as a combination of exercise and and entertainment. I mean with golf a lot of the pleasure is coming from seeing how well you're doing at any given point, the challenge of the course and maybe that's true in digging a tunnel as well. How do I get around this rock? Am mm-hmm. I still going in a am I, am I still going in a straight line? 
Where, what was he doing with the dirt? I always wonder that you know, after watching The Great Escape and, and that kind of a thing. So he was bringing the dirt up in pails and dumping it in his front yard. And, and you can, I think, between your front and backyard, raise, the, raise some beds. People did notice that his yard was now on a bluff 10 feet above his neighbors. <laughs> it turns out you can sprinkle the dirt, I think, around pretty... Uh, out of a pant cuff like Andy Dufresne. Yeah, that's right. He took I mean, it to work. The Germans never noticed, right? Even though all of a sudden all the the barracks that had been on stilts now were level with the ground. Uh, but uh, but he kind of made no apology for it. He said that it was uh, you know it was it was good exercise and good for his constitution. Is it legal? Did he was he digging underground he did not own? He was digging underground that he did not own. And you don't own the mineral rights even maybe to your own property like are you allowed to dig down as far as you want in your own property if it's for recreation again i feel like the concept of mineral rights was something that came about in the uh, in the american west yeah that in again adams morgan i guess the presumption is under your house you own it all the way to the center of the earth what if it goes through the subway i mean i guess right i guess you know if you get down to hell and satan's like how dare you was he so? Was he breaking laws? Was anybody like, "Hey, um, it's not safe to put all these tunnels around town. What if a truck falls in?" There was a lot of consternation about it, and it was not approved. But when he eventually moved back to Washington D.C., he again began tunneling under his new house. So you can't jail that guy. You literally cannot put that guy in a prison. Right. He's no, gonna go. No walls can hold him. He's gonna go right out. You basically just have to legalize whatever weird thing he's doing. Um, when I read about this, I was instantly enraptured because it... Because you also had a network of miles of tunnels under Burien. Well, I, even the initial post on Reddit uh, where the woman said, my boyfriend won't stop tunneling, I was like, tell me more about him. Where did he get this great idea? Why have I... If I didn't have a ravine, boy, would I tunnel... Maybe, yes. So this is bringing back childhood memories of being extremely interested in burrowing and subterranean life of all kinds. Yes. Hobbits, they live in holes. Yes. The rabbits in Watership Down, they live in holes. There would always be elaborate drawings or descriptions of these amazing lifestyles that these fantasy creatures were living in their holes. Think about Dungeons and Dragons. All you do. The whole game's in a hole. It's in the name. You sit with your graph paper and you build dungeons in holes. And I would, I would lie in bed at night and pull the covers over my head and pretend that I had a, an amazing subterranean lifestyle. And I think at one point when I was five or six years old, I had just been reading a children's book about, uh, you know, uh, a kid. Francis goes out with her friend and digs a, digs a big hole in the woods and they have a clubhouse down there. And I decided I'm going to do that. I'm going to dig a hole in the backyard and have my own clubhouse. And my parents were like, okay, you know, have a good time because they knew it was going to happen. And I ended up Digging, digging depression digging, digging about eight inches down to clay seattle soil and getting slugs all over myself and thinking <laughs> this is not like the book at all and i now i realize that the, the this was a children's book about francis the badger yes she's, she's a, badger. a badger of course she can go she and her friend can go dig a clubhouse in the ground i i'm a human i I don't have badger claws yeah and then this the the follow-up book about francis the uh the Vietnam War tunnel sapper. Right. She's exactly who you want. Yeah. She doesn't have any bread and jam anymore, but she can get you out of the camp. I loved Frances the Badger. Oh, you I haven't thought about her in a long time. You remember Frances. Oh, of course. Oh, she's so she's so pretty with her little whiskers. 
Those books are uh, those books are by Russell Hoban, who's actually like a his reputation has been revived for his adult fiction. Uh, oh. Turtle Diary is back in print, I think. Like those books are smart and funny because because he was a real writer. I re- I really liked those books, and I, I I don't think my daughter ever read them. I'm I'm having memories of of my own childhood. She's maybe too old for Francis, but you yeah. got got to give it a shot. Maybe not. Anyway, don't try to dig a badger tunnel in your parents' garden, tomato garden. Well, it turned out this is this the desire that you're describing and this kind of, uh, I don't know, universal fascination. Um, it extends to our ape cousins, uh, a man by the name of Larry Taylor, who's the director of the oh, ape action. I thought you were talking Africa. about Canadians again. I'm yeah. Sorry. Canadians Our ape, our ape cousins of the North. He says that if you go, uh, in a, in a, an enclosure or in an area where there are baby chimps and you take a stick and start digging in the dirt, they will come and n- not make a sound and put their noses right down where you're digging and try to take the stick from you and dig themselves. Like, uh, it is something uh, like all primates want to know more about digging. I guess I now have a new theory. The evolutionary behavior must be digging for water or grubs or edible roots. It must be digging for something, right? Uh, for treasure and dungeons yeah, but, and dragons. But before that, for ter- for termites that you would just pop in your mouth because mm, termites. I think that it's different. I think it comes from caves. The first time you found a yeah. cave to get out of the rain and then somebody realized if you put a, if you if you dug a little bit in the back, you could expand the cave. To me, that's what I hated about my experience, that I just had to build a hole. Yeah. And holes suck. Holes Like, it's just going to become a puddle. Whereas, what's cool is, like, if you're digging in the sandbox, when you can get underneath and maybe join somebody else's hand coming through, and then you've got a little hallway down there. That's not a hole anymore. That's one of my favorite things to do at the beach, is I'm digging a hole, and my daughter's digging a hole, and we try and dig down far enough that we can... Uh, connect the passageways without oh, it collapsing. So satisfying. It's really great. Uh, sadly, I have a story of uh, of a friend whose brother in the 1970s was digging a cave and dug this deep cave into a riverbank, and then the cave collapsed. Oh, no. And he was, they, they, they finally dug him out, but he had been in there without oxygen and was permanently brain damaged and, uh, you know, and it was it was a, a tragedy in this family. So maybe that's why it's um, it, it should be illegal. Illegal, yes. You should make a law that no young people can ever dig a hole uh, or a cave. Exactly. Yeah. Then they won't get caved in on because they won't, well they won't have safety stuff. Like if I was if I was digging a basement to my house, you better believe the city of Seattle would have. 60 pages of rules for me to sign. They would. And that's why you don't tell anybody you're doing it. But most of the, <laughs> most of the most famous, uh, hobby tunnelers actually, uh, went to great lengths to shore up the walls and ceiling. A lot of them had, uh, well, uh, started with timber, but a lot of them ended up building cement and brick works under wow. their property to, to create these short up. Yeah. Enormous, uh, like, um, they become catacombs almost. In uh, are these the ones where they they uh, disappear after their D and D campaign? Uh, yeah. Are, are, <laughs> well, they do, end up going they, into the sewers. Yeah, are they going down there to worship Satan? Uh-huh. Uh, that's certainly what so, I was doing. You're closer to hell when you're down there. You're six feet, at least six feet closer to hell than up on the surface. You can feel how much closer to hell you are. Uh, there are so many examples. I mean, one of the um, one of the sort of hilarious ones 
in the the mid nineteenth century, a man by the name of Alfred Beach proposed a pneumatic subway system under New York City. Um, but he was, and this is before before the, there was the one. New York subway. Uh, he was not granted permission to build a subway, but he did get permit. He did get a permit to build a pneumatic tube for the post office. And this is down in what we would call now the financial district, mm-hmm. kind of just north of the World Trade Center. Um, and with this permit to build a pneumatic postal tube, he just went ahead and dug his own subway. Uh, and it only ran <laughs> like subway size. Yeah. Like, can he get a train down there? Yes. A working subway and built a train <laughs> and, and it, this was a demonstration. It only went for, you know, a long block between Warren and Murray down on Bro- on lower Broadway. This is the original hyperloop, but he, it was this guy's the Elon of the 1880s or whatever. He built a pneumatic subway that traveled a block as a, as a, uh, like a perspective, like, Hey everybody, look at this. It's working a proof concept, of concept. Yeah. And, um, and people, and then he revealed it and it was like, I didn't get the permit, but, ah. and everybody was really like, there was a lot of enthusiasm about it, but then there was a financial crash and, uh, they abandoned it. And then I think the building that, uh, that protected the entrance to it burned down and they forgot it was there. And then when they were digging the real New York subway, they, you know, the collapsed a wall and all of a sudden there's this. <laughs> this other subway under there that nobody remembered was there. I hope they used it. Hope they like. Hope the current New York subway goes a little out of its way, just, just a little, to, just to use his tunnel for that little block, Zing. and then briefly, just for one block, it's also a pneumatic system, so what, it goes in. What does that mean? You, the, the, the train would get sucked around like yeah. Hyperloop. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! Just like Hyperloop. That's where Elon Musk got the idea. Um. So the number of stories. Uh, started to come out in this, you know, as a response to this Reddit thread, uh, people started looking into the, the idea. I love the power of the internet to make you go from literally nobody does this to this society wide realization that no hundreds of thousands of people do this. And I think part of it was that the response to that Reddit thread was an astonishing, uh, a number of people saying that sounds incredibly cool. Your boyfriend sounds incredibly cool. How, why did I never think of this before? And it did, it did really break out according to uh, along gender lines. Uh, it seemed to be a thing where the conversation was often that the, that the girlfriend would say, what are you doing? And the boyfriend would say, are you kidding me? This is all I want to do. Um, it's not, entirely the case that there are no female tunnelers. There is a, um, yes, but, representation matters, but here's a wonderful example of how, um, how a woman turns it into something, uh, slightly more interesting than just, I'm in my backyard secretly tunneling, uh, a woman by the name of Leanne, uh, Weinsma has, uh, become a kind of performance artist, where she will, um, she's just like all these other tunnel builders. What she, she started building tunnels, um, just to relax. She discovered that it was really fun and groovy, uh, to build tunnels. But when people said, what are you doing? Um, she smartly said, I'm an artist and now has built over 13 tunnels 
And she travels to festivals, art festivals, and builds... It's, an, it's an installation. Tunnel. Yeah, digs a tunnel as an installation. I actually saw I saw an artist do that. Well, I went to a presentation by this New Mexico artist named Raw Paulette. Yes. You heard of this guy? Yes. Is he on your list? Yes, he is. And he does the same thing, right? But in sandstone, he'll go like he'll go somewhere on public land where he thinks nobody will ever find it and then digs these crazy cathedrals. Sometimes they look like H.R. Geiger monsters. Sometimes they just look like vaulted. Like you're inside a seashell or something. Well, and Raw Paulette now has become a beloved artist of New Mexico, and he has he's doing this this work kind of uh, for hire. He's in his 80s, and he's been doing this for for decades. And he doesn't use tools. And he, for a while, he wouldn't tell people. He would just go someplace alone and build this incredible place of spiritual power in a cave of his own creation. And then he would just leave. He does this wonderful thing where it's, he does uh, like vaulted ceilings, yeah. whereas most of these tunnels are just tall enough for someone to walk. But at, at one point, Rapolette was, he, he offered to do this work for hire or somebody came to him and said, will you do one of these on, on my property? And he just charged them like $14 an hour or whatever <laughs> for his time or $11 an hour, something crazy like that, where I was like, oh, um, so some other great examples, uh, a kind of um, maybe one of the most legendary examples was, again, mid-19th century, uh, John Bentinck, who was the fifth Duke of Portland uh, in the United Kingdom, inherited a, uh, an, an enormous manor called Welbeck Abbey, which is, you know, a, a classic sort of Waltham Abbey not Waltham Abbey. That's a town north of London. No, what what is it? Downton Abbey? Oh, it's uh, this a big, big manor estate. house. And um, in the mid nineteenth century, he began a project of uh, this is more of a cut and cover kind of tunnel rather than a than an actually dug tunnel. It's cheaper if you if your city needs a subway tomorrow, you got to do cut and cover. But, but he, he didn't dig it himself because he was a very rich person and he just hired people to dig it. Uh, but he it's built. Not the same. He, uh, on his property, it's not the same, but it's, you can really see the Dungeons and Dragons in it. He built over 24 kilometers of tunnels throughout his property and built enormous underground rooms, including a giant ballroom, um, all, like a whole, um, um, basically a subterranean manor, even bigger than his actual house. And as his, uh, as he grew got older, he became more and more reclusive and didn't let anybody into his 24 kilometers. You know, he, he would like had these, he pop out at some place on his estate, like pop out of a hole and then he's in the bushes over there and then he would go down and run over here and pop out over here, you know, an enormous. I can't believe a British nobleman would be a little bit crazy. Potted, they say. Doesn't that seem a little, a little crazy? Coming out of the ground wrinkly, his nose like a rabbit. Um, but there are, there are plenty of, of examples, and this is not just a British and American, uh, affectation or weird, uh, weird trip. Obsession. In 2015, um, again, you know, a kind of, uh, happenstance discovery of a 30 foot long tunnel under a park in Toronto, in an urban park, not a not a forested, you know, but like a downtown park. Central Toronto. There was a 30 foot tunnel that had a whole like 
uh, generator system, electric lights. Um, and again, the initial suspicion was that this was some kind of sabotage or a terrorist cell who would build a tunnel in the center of a park. And they were thinking all these, you know, um, like affairs of state. Was this in preparation for this meeting between, um, you know, Arab leaders or whatever. This is all vestige or Guy Fox terror. Exactly. Somebody's going to blow us up from underneath. And uh, again, it was all on uh, in the newspapers for a few days. Who is it, who, where did these tunnels come from? And uh, after a few days, um, a 22-year-old, very shy, retiring black Canadian construction worker by the name of Elton McDonald, maybe the most Canadian name a person could have, Elton McDonald, <laughs> Came, like, like Elton came forward and said that he had dug the tunnel. He lived with his family. He, he grew up in poverty there in central Toronto. He lived with his family in a small flat, but he'd always had an, had a, a, like a aptitude for engineering and construction. And he just seeking a little peace and solitude had gone into this park and dug a 30 foot tunnel under the ground, which he then outfitted with electricity and... Well, the, the thing that's amazing about all these stories is it's just like, yeah, on a whim, he just dug a 30-foot tunnel. I yeah. mean, th- that must take you months. Yeah. Well, yeah, a long time. You'd and think there'd be rock and stuff. Also, you're like, you're sneaking, you know, you don't want anybody else to see it. So he he camouflaged the entrance behind some bushes. He was also out depositing the dirt in his pant cuffs. When questioned, he said, honestly, I loved it so much i don't know why i loved it so much um and he was somewhat celebrated uh because it was such a quirky thing for a 22 year old to do this does seem like something that that it's a little train spotty but really a lot of these people start at a very young age um you are leaving something behind you're making a mark you know, in, in most of these kind of uh, AA neurotypical hobbies, all you're left with is the little list on graph paper in your pocket. Right. Not so uh, someone like Elton. A lot of these characters start digging at a young age. In, um, in 2006, uh, a sinkhole formed in the road in Hackney in London. Again, another UK example of this. And the neighbors started to complain and it was discovered that a man by the name of William Little had, uh, many years before in the sixties, inherited a fairly large home in Hackney that he had, that he'd been living in as a hermit and had let fall into disrepair. And the neighbors had been complaining about the, about the house being an eyesore and kind of a, you know, like condemnable house, but, uh, a sinkhole f- formed and w- uh, with further investigation, it was discovered that William Little had been tunneling under his neighborhood for 40 years. And his system was based around a central hub. He just tunneled out in all directions, often going 60 feet out from under his house. He, at one point, you know, he was he was creating havoc because he would hit water lines and power lines. And he, again, why this would not be legal at one point, his tunnel like went into, uh, like broke down 
through a wall into another tunnel that, you know, was like a city tunnel. Um, he, when, and he, he was a civil engineer when confronted, he said, I just found a taste for the thing. He was nicknamed. This is just in 2006. Uh, he said that he started tunneling to dig. He started to dig out a wine cellar for his house and then just kept going. He's got the world's longest wine cellar now. So the city condemned his house. And what it turned out was that he, after he got tired of dumping the dirt in his yard, just started dumping dirt in unused rooms in his home. <laughs> so when they went in to look at the house, there were multiple bedrooms that were just full of dirt. He has the same cubic area of living space. He has just moved it downwards somewhere. Downstairs. Yeah. Uh, so he got charged with a crime. Uh, they filled the tunnels in with concrete. Oh, that must have hurt him. It did. It, they condemned his house. They moved him into some sort of public housing, and they made sure to put him on the top floor <laughs> of the building so that he couldn't tunnel. Maybe you can get the same impulse just from visiting your downstairs neighbor. Yeah, right. Hey, how's Ding it going? What's, what's going on down here? I'm here again. Just like to be under my own home. But when really confronted, he said, uh, his, his great quote was, there is great beauty in inventing things that serve no purpose. Oh, so he he wasn't trying to get famous from it. He wasn't trying to it was he really acknowledged like this is just for nothing. It's a response to capitalism. You're 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 made to equate your own worth with your efficiency, with your productivity. There it was. And yeah. uh and it must just be a relief to do something that doesn't get measured by a boss. Well, it really is you're you're hyper focused, right? You're really controlling your environment. And, um, yeah, you didn't have an environment until you were there. Yeah. It was solid dirt and rocks. Right. You made something. Um, another, and, and this is a, this is a famous person. Um, Seymour Cray, the inventor of the Cray oh, yeah. computer also was a hobby tunneler and he would go down and when he wasn't, you know, when, when he would get an un unsolvable problem, he would go down and tunnel, um, just building tunnels for no purpose and he said when he was tunneling, um, the elves would come to him and help him solve his computer problems. I mean, that is what people say about a lot of these kind of idle pursuits, whether maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it was whacking all that brush that gave President Bush the amazing idea to invade Iraq. You, hmm. you don't know. There you go. I mean, it's because Cheney was hiding in the brush whispering to him, invade Iraq. <laughs> Bush just thought it was the wind. Uh, some other famous examples, and a lot of these have been uh, retroactively, once discovered, it's like, what do we do? In the UK, they fill in your, your tunnels with concrete, but in other places, um, there's more recognition. Uh, a man by the name of Leova, uh, let me say that again, uh, Leova Arakelian in Armenia, uh, he dug for 23 years. And um, created a like an underground home, sixty nine feet under the ground. And when he nice. died, uh, they his family opened it as a as a kind of tourist place called the Divine Underground. And it is you know you can go visit it, and his family is earning an income from it, which is more than they could say the whole time he was digging it. Yeah, so that all these other weirdos can just, when their moms yell at them, what are you doing out in the backyard again, Seymour? 
Oh, you, I'm, you're going to live off of this when I'm gone. You don't appreciate it. Michael Altman in Austria started to build, uh, started to dig a cooling cellar for his bar and again, just kept going. Eventually he invented his own boring machine and, uh, sometime in the sixties, he installed steel doors and called it a bomb shelter. And that kind of ah, gave yeah. him a little bit of a, and I guess, yeah, I guess the whole West had about 10 years or 20 years where they could have done this as a hobby and nobody would have batted an eyelash. Right. There are several people who end up, uh, who end up calling it some kind of survivalist place and, and they kind of get away with that for a while before people are like, Oh, wait it would be minute. funny if survivalism had nothing to do with politics or paranoia, but it was all just, all just guys who liked to dig and needed to, you know, uh, defend it with canned food. Uh, in the in the 40s and 50s and 60s, a man by the name of Glenn Havens in San Diego went to enlarge his barbecue pit and kept digging. <laughs> I knew it. I and knew he was going to keep digging. Ended up digging 660 feet of tunnels and rooms <laughs> uh, that were so big that he had his daughter's wedding reception there in 1960 with over 200 guests in his subterranean barbecue pit. New New theory. Yes. It's the uh, it's the thing we always talk about about how a generation in the 20th century came up excited about exploration and then it all kind of ended. The poles got explored. Yeah, that's Sp- right. The moon race went away. Nothing, Nothing left. to explore. Where can you explore in suburbia? You know, there's really only one direction you can go. Well, you could ha- you could hook your lawn chairs to a bunch of weather balloons. That's true. You can go up uh, or build a rocket to prove that the Earth is flat. But when you combine it with that whole, I mean, when guys do it, there is something of the man cave about it, right? That's right. You, you, Literally a man it's cave. A, we call it a man cave. You want you want that safe, dark place. It's womb-like. In 1900, in the, uh, in the uh, El Paso Mountains in California, there was a, a man by the name of William Burrow Schmidt, and he's named Burrow after his donkeys, not after ah, burrowing. No W. Because he was a donkey miner. No, he didn't mine donkeys, but he used donkeys to mine. And he was, was a donkey miner. He was working a mining claim, and uh, the smelter for the ore was on the other side of a steep, uh, a steep mountain pass. And he said it was too far to uh, to take his ore via his burrows over the top of the mountain pass, and so he was going to dig a tunnel to the other side. And over the course of 32 years, he built a half mile long tunnel through solid granite. Wow. A shortcut to the smelter, he called it. Is it a shortcut? If it... Through solid granite. If it takes you decades. He used dynamite and oh, he built okay. a tr- he built a rail through it to run his rail car. Um, in 1920, 20 years after he started, they actually built a road over the mountain pass, but it didn't dissuade him. He worked for another 12 years and in interviewing all the people that worked in mining, including the people at the smelter, they said that William Burrow Schmidt never once brought any ore to the smelter or ever (laughs) sold any ore anywhere. Uh, but he continued until he built the tunnel all the way to the smelter. But someday I might want to. And then immediately uh, sold the property and left and moved away. I thought you were going to say died. Uh, no, and then he he came out the other side and and died. Immediately, immediately died. died. Um, and that tunnel still exists. And it's 
it's embroiled in a property dispute because the Bureau of Land Management, talk about mineral rights. Yeah. The Bureau of Land Management claims the tunnel because it's He did it on his he yeah, did it on his uh on a mining claim that he didn't maintain. And but they're but the descendants of the person he sold it to are arguing that they that they own the tunnel. And it's you know if you're in the El Paso Mountains and you're looking for something to do. Do they want the tunnel? Go over to Burrow Schmidt's tunnel. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's again, it's a tourist attraction. You can go all the way to the smelter. <laughs> but I think the best example of this is also in California. And it also started in the, the very early 1900s. In 1904, a man by the name of Baldassare Forestieri bought 32 acres outside of Fresno that he wanted to turn into a, an orchard. But he discovered that the soil was hard pan and trees wouldn't grow. So naturally, he started to dig. Why? And well, he started to dig because it's very hot in Fresno in the summer. And he dug down hoping to find, you know, to build a a room that he could keep cool in in the summer. Uh, But over the course of his lifetime, he dug an entire universe. He dug literally a universe, uh, an area that has 65 rooms, but he did a thing where he opened skylights above it so that it ended up looking like a, like kind of like where Luke grew up on Tatooine. Right. Um, a cool shady hole that had a whole, sort of um, world in it. But in his world, he dug, within these 65 rooms, he built these, you know, beautiful archways. There are fish ponds. There are like cisterns. And then he started planting fruit trees in the, in the holes that he dug in his, in his caverns. And they got natural sunlight through these big openings, skylights. And did that work? Was it more fertile down there or less hot or something? Less it's, sun? It's incredible. And you can visit it now. It's called the Forestier Underground Gardens in Fresno. And it's like a, it's a, like a, an otherworldly alternate history version of how human beings should live in. And maybe it's an example of how we, how we will live in central California after the uh, water wars. When it's all Arrakis out there? Yeah, that the that above ground it's this scorched nightmare, but but um down in the forestier, which I think should be the name for this type yes. of place from now on. Yes. It has forest in it. It does. Um it's like this wonderful and I can't wait to go. It's like a hanging garden. Uh it might maybe it's the best underground garden in Fresno. And that concludes Hobby Tunneling, entry 591.jb2416, certificate number 39623. If you dug this episode, you can find out more in various places. Others will be discussing it perhaps in the Futurelings groups on Facebook and elsewhere, or Meta. We call it Meta now. Um, I just went there right now and they're arguing about whether Talking Heads is twee which is a musical hmm. take so appalling that that maybe it's good? I don't know. 
Uh, you can find at Omnibus Project on various social media networks. I was at Ken Jennings. John was at John Roderick. Uh, you can send us email at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us physical items, that would go to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And we have so much mail. Yes, let's hear it. So I don't even know what this is. This postcard has a dog with a bandana, which I'm always in favor of. Oh, and it's it's from the uh, the entry we did about the um, well, protest dogs, and this is this came to us from Santiago, Chile. Hmm. This, uh, Ramon, who is writing to us, was very against the 2019 protest. Oh, he's against the protest in which this dog appeared. This is Negro Matapacas. And in fact, it was drawn by Ramon's friend, Daniela. Um, So we actually have Chilean feedback uh, from our Chilean correspondent, Ramon, who uh, seems like more of a Pinochet guy from his Uh postcard. uh But that's all right. There's room for all here at Omnibus. Um, I don't even know what's in here, but it's very large. Oh, no, and I just got... It's one of these... Um, Don't you love these recycled envelopes that are full of, like, insulation fuzz? Oh, no. How are we going to get rid of that? That's... Yeah, we, you're going to have to dig a tunnel, I think. This is from a listener who said... Uh, he's a Patreon donor who was asked nice. to submit an idea for the show. Thank you. And he said he wanted to submit it in the form of old life magazines. Oh, awesome. So here's one from 1945, 51... 37. It looks like Omar Bradley is on the cover of one and a, a beautiful woman in a crazy veil is on the cover of the other. And he 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 suggests uh Jeff suggests some of the some ideas for shows, I guess, that we could use these old life magazines to research. Thank you so much, but not for your weird recycled envelope. <laughs> oh, I want to open for this just because it's from Fresno. Yeah. Oh, it's a wedding. Is it underground? It appears there are mountains and trees in the picture. So it appears to not be in a forest year. But Jacob and Desdemona invited us to their wedding back in mid-June. Oh, oh we missed it. We did miss it. I'm sorry, Jacob and Desdemona. Desdemona's name is not spelled the Shakespearean way. Oh, is how it, is it spelled? Does it have a Z in it? There's just a vowel wrong oh. or different. I don't want to say wrong. Right. Don't yuck their yum. Well, it does seem like if you're uh, well-read enough to be naming your kids after Shakespeare characters, you, know, you would name. You would look up the spelling. Spell it. You would look up the spelling. Does Jacob and Desdemona, if you're listening, I'm sorry that uh, that we could not be there, but um, I hope you had a, a wonderful wedding day. <laughs> they included a um, they included a link to their registry. Should we send them something? Um, maybe we should send them those Life magazines with Omar Bradley on the cover. There's a QR code. Did you guys register for a Life magazine with Omar Bradley on the cover? Because <laughs> we have one. Um, and why not one more while I'm opening stuff? Open it. Open it. Open it. This is a listener named CW who sent us. Is it CW McCall? It is, in fact, C.W. McCall. Didn't he die last year? Yeah. But from beyond the grave, C.W. Maybe sends... how long it's been since we've opened the mail. He might have sent it last year. It's a comic book, not by him, but uh, a graphic novel series he enjoys about, it looks like, conspiracy 
stuff, including, and a lot of it's omnibus adjacent, Satanic Panic, UFOs, Mothman, The Babylon Working. And I have not read this, although I think this guy used to, maybe he still writes Batman. This James Tinian? Tinian? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Oh, this is beautiful painted stuff. I like conspiracy theories. Thank you so much, show, CW, show, show me. for sending that along. Take, it looks kind of like that Bill Sienkiewicz 80s stuff when he would oh, paint Electra and yeah, Batman. I mean, that. not together. Okay, I have this envelope um, insulation lint all over my computer now. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think my computer is going to survive this. I need it's a Adele. compressed air thing. Dude, you're getting Adele. You're getting lint in your uh, Dell. What did I not say? Oh, the Patreon. So uh, the reason why Jeff sent us those life magazines is because he's been such a dedicated supporter of the show that he gets to suggest a topic. That's one of many perks available to our supporters. Go to patreon.com slash omnibus project for access to addenda shows, bonus shows, all kinds of cool uh, resources and content not available to the regular normals. No, who just do not, the who dedicated do not followers of fashion. Only to uh, to people whose budgets allow them to support Omnibus. It's a little mean, a little classist of us. No, I think everybody can afford $5 a month. And I say it's, that knowing, that, knowing it, that some people can't. It's compatible with Marxism to uh, to give bonus episodes to donors. Take that, Ramon. Hmm. Yeah, let's just say it is. What we, are people going to do? We've made an official ruling. <laughs> Marx is gone. <laughs> Who's the authority of Marxism now? There isn't one. You can't ask him. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we wish you many goods and cheese and hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.